Out of curiosity, raise of hands, how many people do New Year's resolutions? Few people still. All right. All right. How many people are a little bit rebellious and no calendar is going to tell me when to change? All right. A little bit more. How many of you are, is today Monday, Thursday? I don't even know what day it is. Like, that's me. Yeah. All right. So today's passage can be helpful for those of you who do resolutions and spend some time reflecting on your life. Uh, For those that like to change when things come up, uh, this could also be a time to just spend some time reflecting and and meditating on where are you at. Uh, Today's passage is going to come from... Second Peter, and, and the idea is that we have, we have been given everything that we need for life. Uh, so as we're looking at what can I grow in, uh, where am I at right now, this, this could be a great uh, passage for this time of year. Uh, so we're going to start with reading this. Uh, so Second Peter chapter 1, starting with the first verse, if you want to open your Bibles or pull it up on your Uh, electronic devices. A little context, this is Peter's last written uh, message that we know of. Uh, He ends the book talking about his execution is coming soon. So this whole book is like Peter's last words to the the believers. So he starts off in verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received faith as precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape the corruption that is in this world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, with goodness, knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, endurance, and with endurance, godliness, godliness with mutual affection, mutual affection, love. And if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we have been given everything we need. And he gives us eight virtues that we're striving for to live by. And this morning, we're going to quickly kind of go over all eight of them to kind of get a sense of what are they, what does it look like, how can this exemplify in my life. But before we really dive in, we want to explore why should we concern ourselves with these eight things. Peter gives 10 10 examples in this passage. Um, But to summarize it, a picture is worth a thousand words. So we're going to look at this picture. All right. There's some red lines. Um, So if you can't see, we have a young man who's wearing his baseball cap backwards. He's got sunglasses tucked into the collar of his shirt. And his unfortunate luck is that it's a really bright, sunny day. If only he had something to shield his eyes. So uh, I guess I'll have to use my hands. And I don't know if you can see in the picture, but it's not working very well. He's squinting really hard. So this is not working out well for him, right? Okay, so what are some thoughts that we can do a shout out? What are some thoughts you have of this young man who's forever immortalized on the internet? You're all thinking it. Okay. (laughs) All right. He's foolish. We'll just summarize it that way. He's foolish. All right. Um, But Peter says the same thing. We've been given everything we need. 
But as Christians, how quickly are we to forget the things that we have been given? And we walk around in our spiritual life much like this, trying to struggle through life. Why isn't God helping me? Where is God? What's happening? And Peter's exhorting us like, you have everything. Let me remind you what you have. Just turn the cap around. Just put the sunglasses on. Here are the things you have. So we're going to start with faith. The very first one. So... Add to your faith. What is faith? That, that's the starting point. Uh, Hebrews says that faith is uh, the assurance of things that we hope for and the evidence of things not yet seen. So we have to put our hope into something, right? So we all walk through life putting our hope in something, whether that's finances or uh, our job. It could be our family. What, what is it that we put our hope in? Uh, if we're looking at everything we need for life in this present moment and godliness for all eternity, what we're looking to put our hope in is that of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Through Jesus Christ, Paul writes, we have been saved through our faith by grace. This is not of our own doing. It is a gift from God. Jesus came into the world saying, like, I told you you would die to your sins unless you believe that I am he. I have much to say about you and much to condemn. But the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard through him. We in ourselves are sinful, unreliable, just always falling short. And we need to put our hope in something to get us to that next step. And if our hope and our faith is in something not Jesus, who has saved us and reconciled us from that sinful life, we're going to keep falling flat or ineffectively shading our eyes. Jesus goes on to say, as recorded in John, that he, I, am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else can come to the Father except through me. Hebrews goes on to also say, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that would seek him. So if we're looking to live a life that is effective in this present moment and for our eternal life, our hope has to be focused on Jesus Christ. And the belief, the evidence of things not seen, is that we have fallen short of everything that we could possibly set our minds to. But he has reconciled us back to God in this. So in, in this room, I'm sure there's a diversity. Um, some of you are sure. You know that I have put my faith, I have claimed it, uh, I have proclaimed it through baptism. I am sure that I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. There are, it's likely that some of you are questioning. You're not really sure. Or you're wondering, have I done enough? Have I tried enough? Have I uh, been enough? Will I be acceptable enough to God? And it's possible that some of you are not yet there. Um, you may not have heard the message or you have heard it and said that that is not for me. Um, regardless of where you're at in your journey, um, the scripture is clear that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And if you're struggling with this or questioning this, I would encourage you to reach out to a trusted friend. Um, after service, uh, we have our elders and our staff walking around with name tags that you can ask questions. I'll be floating around. I'd be happy to talk to you a little bit more. 
But in Peter's, Peter's list, faith is paramount. It is the foundation of which everything else is built. Without our hope in the right spot, we are just going to struggle over and over again. So sometimes we get this out of order. Um, sometimes we think of, I know what I need for life. I just need to be a good person. If I'm good enough, then I'm going to heaven, right? Maybe if I read enough and I know enough, that'll get me through, right? If I rehearse what I'm going to say at that day of judgment, maybe that'll be good enough. Um, but being a good person is, is not the promised entry. Again, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we have our faith established, then what do we do? All right, I've accepted that. I've accepted that I cannot do on my own. I need a savior. So now what? All right, Peter is helpful. He gives us our next one. Goodness. Add to your faith, goodness. So the question is, what is good? What is good enough? What does it mean to be a good person? These are big questions. Um, Those of you who have interacted with me know that I like studying Greek. Um, Greek is a very philosophical language, and because of that, there are 26 words that translate to good. So buckle in. (laughs) I am exhausted thinking about it. Um, We're just going to do the top four mentioned in Scripture. All right, there are many more, but we're going to do the top four. And uh, the reason for this, I think, will, will become evident. There is a reason why we, what we are looking for and what Peter is exhorting us to. So we're going to do four. So the first one I'm going to call your attention to is the word kalos. This is physical goodness. Um, all these Greek words are philosophical, so there's not like a strong, like, here's what this word means. Um, but Kalos kind of has this idea that everything is perfect, it's good, it's beautiful. Um, uh, so example, I went to Quick Trip the other day because we needed eggs. And I pick up a carton of eggs, I open the top, why? I want to see if the eggs are good, right? I'm looking at, are there cracks? Are they all there? Does it smell like rotten sewage? No, they look good. So I'm going to take them home. I have no idea what they're going to taste like. I have no idea if they're cage-free, range-free, whatever. Um, I have no idea where they've come from. I just know on the surface, they are good. Scripture talks about kalos in the idea, uh, almost always in reference to God's word and the law. The law is perfect. It is good. It is without imperfection. Uh, God's word is the same. These things are perfect. Nothing else can, can compare to them. The good news is we are not instructed and exhorted to be perfect. That is not what we're about. So let's look at the next one, agathos. This is the intrinsic good. So kalos is outside, agathos is inside. So agathos has this idea of, am I reliable? Am I of good quality? Am I of good service? Uh, So thinking of an example... If I were to be looking for a car and I decided that there is this beautiful 1974 Ford Pinto on sale for $300, would you all advise me to buy that car? Some of you are familiar with the Ford Pinto. Some of you are like, what's that? That's exactly why it's not around today. Um, It's the first compact car. For design feature to make it save space, they put the gas tank right behind the bumper. Um, so 
I, I know how I drive, and I've seen how some of you drive. If you back up a little too hard, there's a chance you spark the gas tank and blow up the back half of your car. It was an unreliable car. It got pulled off the market, right? So it's not to say that it wasn't a good car. It looked nice. It drove where it needed to, but there was always this chance of, will it, won't it? And we don't know. Um, so agathos in the New Testament is almost always used in context with the human condition. My heart, my mind, my emotions. They are unreliable. Today, I feel great. Tomorrow, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, it's just always changing. Um, so in Scripture, we are not called to be reliable. It's not about, did I go enough? Did I pray enough? Did I read enough? Did I attend church enough? Did I go to enough service events? It's not about being enough and reliable. So that is good. So let's go to the third one. Uh, this is pronounced you, um, EU. This word means active good. Have I done good works? Have I done things to good completion? So we hope whoever built this building did a good job with it. Otherwise, the walls would fall down and the roof would collapse. Right? Um, in scripture, this word is used almost primarily when talking about the gospel. The word gospel is euangelion in the Greek. It means the news of a good work done to completion. Uh, so in that, we're talking about Christ's work on the cross, that when he said it is finished, he did it to completion and to all good measure. It is done well. So we are not called to do good works at this point. We'll come back to that one in a moment. So of course, it's the fourth one. I, I had to save it for last. So what are we called to? What is good? Uh, the Greek word that Peter uses is arete, which summarized typically means moral good. Some of your translations might say moral excellence in this passage. The idea of arete is a hard one to grasp. Uh, how it's described is everything was created with an intended purpose. And the idea of being good or arete is, am I fulfilling that created purpose and its intention? So am I on this journey uh, between something that everything is perfect and everything that could go wrong? Am I on a journey striving towards being better? The army took this word and framed it into their slogan, be all that you can be. Don't be perfect. Don't be reliable. Just be a better self. Try, strive to be a better self. So because this can be hard, and even Paul, great scholar, great learned man, struggled with this idea. And he wrote about it in the book of Romans. He actually writes about all four of these. Uh, and his struggle to understand, what does this mean to be a good person? Now that I have faith in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? So, Romans 7, starting at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. It is good, perfect. It is kalos, perfect. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good, reliable, dwells within me. That is, in my flesh, I can, do what is, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For if I do not do the reliable good that I want, but evil that I do not want to do is what I do. Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it a law that whenever I want to do the reliable, perfect good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. 
but I see my members at law, at war with my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Okay, that's a lot, even to read, much to comprehend. So Paul is saying, the law is perfect. I want to do what is perfect. But oh man, my heart is unreliable. It is not good. So every time I want to be reliably good, I fall short of perfect. And every time I try to be perfect, I fall reliably not good. So what do I do with this? His next line is, wretched man that I am. Man, this stinks. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is where we see euangelion. Thanks be to God for the good work that Christ has done and seen through to completion. Because of this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life is in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Arete. We have been set free to live free. And that is a beautiful, beautiful message. I want to end right there. But we're at two of eight. So um, <laughs> that is the gospel of hope, Right? We've been set free from our own unreliable selves. And now we have a mission and a purpose to be something better now that we have been set free. But unfortunately, we get things out of order again. Um, The foundation here is faith. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have placed their faith and their hope in Christ Jesus. For those who try to still live up to a measure of goodness, they are constantly struggling with a sense of legalism and condemnation and guilt and shame, like, I'm just not doing enough. Um, We talk about trying to do things by works. Um, That comes later in the list, but it's not right at this moment. Um, We struggle a lot with am I a good person? And how does that fit? All of this has to, again, relate back to faith first. And from that, I find my purpose in being a good person. So the natural question then is, what is my purpose? Which is a great segue to point number three. Paul says, add, or Peter says, add to your goodness and your purpose, knowledge. We have to learn what our purpose is. So for this, I'm going to go back to Paul again. In Romans 12, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we have been given this new purpose And now what do we do with it? We have to learn. We have to be renewed. We have to be transformed to understand what is the will of God for my life. I'm sure many of you have been at that place of like, what should I do? Should I buy a house? Should I take this job? Should I move across the country? Um, Should I marry this person or that person? Um, How do I resolve this conflict? What is the will of God for this moment for me? And it can be hard which is why knowledge comes into play. What is it that we have been called to? So how do we build knowledge? The most practical way to do this is to read our our Bibles, read Scripture. God's promises and God's will is spread all throughout Scripture. The Old Testament shows us what have we been called from. What have we been called from? Being the law of sin and death, What is it that we are coming from? The New Testament is focused on what have we been called to? 
All right, now that we have all this, where are we going with our life? What comes up all the way till the end of time? When this man Paul was converted, he, his name was Saul. He was a Pharisee who was a prosecutor. He knew the law inside and out. He, he was in charge of arresting people for breaking the law and putting people to death. Um, and when he came to know Jesus, he came to faith on a road to Damascus. He went to the disciples right afterwards. He's like, what on earth is this? Help me understand. And the disciples explained to him, here's what Jesus taught us. Here's the purpose that we have in Christ. And here's what he instructed us to do. And Paul writes in both, well, it's written in both Acts and in Galatians. Paul then said he didn't know what to do with that. So he, had, he went into the wilderness for three years to just read and study and reread the law through this new context, through this new purpose, and also to apply what the disciples had told him about the teachings of Christ, like what is my new purpose moving forward? And from that, he went on great missionary journeys, and he wrote about his wrestlings like, we, like we've been reading about, like here's what we've been called from, and here's where we're going to. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament talking about what this can look like on an applied level. <clears throat> but again, we can take knowledge out of order of the story. Uh, Paul wrote in Corinthians, the message of the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Why is that? Well, the Jews believed they were perfect because they had the law. Uh, we don't need to know anything more. We don't need to have faith in anything else because we know we're good people because we have the law. The Gentiles believed they had all the knowledge and all the philosophy and all the science in the world, so they didn't need to have a law and they didn't need to have faith in somebody to save them because they had their knowledge base. Knowledge can puff us up, can make us prideful if done out of the context of our purpose. Much like Saul, the young Saul, the Pharisee, who's like, I know the law backwards and forwards and now I'm going to enact it. But if we, if we don't have our, our faith firmly established in Christ, if we don't have our purpose set on being better than who we are, uh, that knowledge can just lead us astray in lots of different directions. So from that then, what do we do with all this knowledge? Well, add to your knowledge self-control. So now that we know what we have been called to, how do we live it out in our daily life? Faith without works is dead, James writes. We can have all the knowledge we want, but if we don't do anything with it, what, we're not effective. Um, James even goes on to say that those who know the good that they ought to do and yet still don't do it, sin. So how do we use this knowledge in our daily life? There are lots of things that we struggle with that because we've come to know Christ, we know we should not do that anymore or we should start doing more of something else. So how are we aligning ourselves with that call and bringing our behaviors, our desires, our passions, everything into alignment with what God has called, called us to? Paul exhorts us in Romans, therefore do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions no longer present the members, your members, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So we have faith, we have this purpose, 
we have the knowledge that we have been called to be instruments of God. So how then do we bring our passions and desires in alignment with all of that knowledge? Um, in Corinthians, uh, Paul also gives the simple idea of take every thought captive to obey the law of Christ. Like this is our purpose, this is our mission. Our minds are unreliable, as we've talked about. Um, so how do we capture those thoughts before they get too far? Jesus talked about it's not just the fact that you've killed somebody that makes you sin and murder. It's the fact that you held hate in your thoughts and in your heart that caused you to commit murder. So how do we take our thoughts captive? Because where our mind goes, we quickly follow in our unreliable heart. So as we're looking at the sins in our life and the repeated areas of struggle, we're trying to bring those into alignment. But if we're doing it out of control, out of order, if we don't have a sense of why am I doing this, quickly self-control becomes legalism. And some of you I know have felt that or heard that. Uh, Christianity becomes a list of do's and don'ts. Well, it's that I can't eat this and I can't do that. Um, it's because it's taken out of context. We, we're not firmly established in our faith. We're not firmly established in a new purpose. We're not firmly established in knowing why are, have we been called to that. Um, in the time right after Jesus, there was a, a big controversy, uh, a, a breakout group, if you will, called the Gnostics. Um, and they really struggled with how do we live a life that is knowledgeable of godly and holy living, but knowing that our bodies are unreliable. They really struggled with that. So this small branch of believers came up with this new idea that, well, the body's just bad all the time, and my soul is completely good. And from that, there were numerous divisions in the church. So one group said, well, because my body is so terrible um, and my soul is saved, well, then, therefore, I can do whatever I want with my body. I can eat whatever I want. I can go out and drink whatever I want. I can wear whatever I want and do whatever I want with my body because who cares? Because my soul is saved. Um, and Paul and John and Peter and most of the New Testament writers are writing to address that issue. Like, no, your body is still part of this equation. We have to bring it back into control. The other side of the Gnostics said, well, because this, the body is bad and the soul is good, we therefore have to beat our bodies into submission, whatever it takes. So therefore, this group went to the other extreme and said, we're not going to eat anything. Whenever we feel like something, we're going to knock it down really quick because we can't trust our hearts. So anytime I, I want to watch a movie, well, if I want it, then it must be bad and it must not be godly. So therefore, I must rid myself of everything in my heart and my desire that I want. Um, and they took that, and they ran with it for a long time. Even till today, we still struggle with some of this. And the writings come back to, no, that's not the idea either. We can enjoy things in our new purpose, but we have to have a sense of control. So as we're struggling with legalism and license and free will and trying to pull all this together, like how do I live a self-controlled life. Um, and we're trying to figure out this balance. Invariably what happens is life throws us a curveball, which is then the next step. All right, so I'm trying to do this, and now something comes up. 
So point number five in the list is add to your self-control perseverance or endurance. So I'm trying so hard to bring my behaviors, my desires, my wants into alignment with this new purpose and this new knowledge that I have in Christ. But man, is life hard. Life doesn't allow me to just sit and read my, my Bible all day long. I still have to go to work. I have family. There are people I'm interacting with. The, the global politics are impacting what, it, what is happening in my life. So what do I do? We persevere. Last Greek word for the, today. A great word. Hupomeno is the word. Um, I'm going to ask you to say it because this is a good word to remember. So think hula hoop and then hupomeno. So I'd like you to say that out loud. Hupomeno. Okay. Good job. You're all Greek scholars. Um, Hupomeno is a compound word. Uh, Hupo means underneath. Meno means to remain. It was a military term, meaning stand your ground, offer no retreat, no surrender, no matter what comes at you, we are not moving from this, from this point. So this, if you can imagine soldiers just digging in with their shields, ready to fight. That's what this word means. Every time you read it in the New Testament, you see perseverance or endurance. Nine times out of ten, it's hupomeno. It's stand firm. No retreat, no surrender. It'll be hard, it'll be dirty, it'll be horrible. But stand your ground. God's got you. So when we're trying to make changes in our life, we're trying to bring self-control in, life is going to throw rotten eggs at us. And we have to stand firm. So examples, practical example, New Year's resolution, very common one, lose weight. So if you go to the gym today, it's going to be packed full. If you go to the gym in April, it's going to be empty with like the two or three people who are like, I'm not going to change because a calendar told me to. For those of us that are changing in different behaviors, uh, you know, it just always comes up. Uh, I'll be honest, there was a point in my life where I, I was smoking, and I was trying to quit smoking. And every time, you know, I, I could tell when I was stressed, because I swear I could smell a cigarette from like five miles away. And I could tell how many cigarettes were still in the box, and it was like, ah, like I just wanted it so bad. But I had just come to Christ, and I was like, I have a new purpose and a new direction for my life, and I'm leaving all that behind. And I'm like, oh, but that, ugh. like, it just hits you, and you're, everything in you just says, but I want that. I want to go back to that. And, and the encouragement is stand firm. Don't give in. Because there is more to life, more to your godliness, than giving in to this, this pleasure. I think of recently, too, we, uh, uh, we just had a friend who uh, was on a, a journey. He was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Uh, it, he had been having backaches and headaches for a long time, and finally he went into the doctor. And it was stage 4 cancer. He had, like, what, like eight months-ish of a prognosis to live. Um, he had three kids and a wife. He was in his 30s. Um, and he could have been greatly overtaken by this. And can't tell you, he stood firm. He hupomenoed. And through all the chemo treatments, through all the, the pain and struggle of these treatments, he stood firm. And he led people to Christ through this standing firm. Like he, Nurses are like, how do you keep doing this? Well, how can you keep up with this? How, how can you be so excited almost and at peace with what's coming? 
and he could talk about, you know, I have a faith and I have a purpose and direction for my life and I know where I'm going and I have, I'm bringing all this horrible feeling in my body under control and I'm going to stand firm because I know God is on the other side of this. And his life was a huge testimony. And when he passed a few weeks ago, um, it was a great celebration of his life, of how he stood firm and just exuded so much of God's character. So perseverance is not easy. And when we do it out of order, if we're trying to hold firm and we don't have that strong sense of here's why I'm doing it, here's my purpose, here's my reason, it's really hard to stand firm the walls of life just kind of overtake us. The storms of life just blow us down. And to other people, it seems foolish. Why would you just keep standing under all that? It doesn't make sense. Just stop doing that. Just give in and go do the thing. And we're like, no, no, I, I, I know what I've been called to, and I have something new. Uh, the prophets warned about this in the Old Testament. In Hosea, um, Chapter 4, God said through his prophet, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge Um, because they didn't know, they couldn't stand firm. And every time a new leader came in, the Jews struggled and they fell apart and they fell away. So as we're standing firm, our, our next one is godliness. Add to your perseverance godliness. Godliness is our worship and our lifestyle. We have made it through Now what do we do? Who do we give the glory to? Was it of our own strength that we stood and withstood all the trials of life, or was it by God? Do we give the glory where it's due? Think of in Exodus. uh, The Israelites are complaining on one side of the Red Sea, like, God brought us out here to kill us. Great miracle happened. They go through the Red Sea, and on the other side, they couldn't help but celebrate when hours before they were just complaining to God. Like, there, there's just something like, we just know that we have to give our worship to God. When we do godliness out of order, when we seek to worship God, uh, but we're not firmly rooted in our purpose and in our faith, um, it gets really, really mundane. Um, I know there, there are times when I come to church and to worship service, and I'm kind of like, man, this song is not really hitting me today. Uh, man, this isn't really speaking to me. Um, I have to step back. Like, where is my godliness? Where is my worship in light of all this? Um, have I been living for God all week, or have I been living for myself? So now when it's time to celebrate God, that I'm just so focused on me and what God can do for me, as opposed to how am I giving glory back to God? Because if we're not struggling throughout the week to like bring ourselves into alignment, uh, the worship service can seem flat. And when we're worshiping on our own, it can seem flat. Um, so again, re- recalling again that faith, purpose, our knowledge, and self-control. And as we come to worship, we do it together. So add to your godliness mutual affection. Mutual affection is uh, brotherly love in some translations. It's this idea that we have a deep bond and connection because we've been through life together. We, we've been through thick. We've been through thin. I know you've got my back, and I've got yours no matter what happens. This is the person you call at 3 a.m. when you're having a rough time. When you hear good news, this is the first person you want to tell. When you have bad news, this is the first person you want to reach out to for comfort. 
These are the people that cause your heart to just leap inside of you with joy. Like, oh, yes, I am so glad I get to see you again. These are the people that we share life with. And it comes a stronger, more intimate connection when we do it through life together. If you think about the people in your life, the hardest times in your life, who are the people with you? And you think about how your relationship changed through that experience. On the other side, you're not just friends anymore. You're really good friends. They have seen you through your worst, and they are still with you. So if you do this out of order, it, there's nothing wrong with having friends outside of, uh, of this order. Um, but the idea of having a deep, intimate relationship, our chosen church family, that we can rely on and call on at any time, this is done when we've been through life together. So how can we serve together? How can we persevere together? How can we be on that constant journey of changing together? And once we've done that, we add to our mutual affection, love. Perfect love. Uh, the word is agape. It is unconditional love. Where mutual affection says is conditional, like if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Agape is, I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you've been. Like, I have been through thick, through thin. I have a purpose in life. I have people who care about me and love me. You have no idea how much God has blessed me. Let me show you. Let me bless you as well, because you have not experienced that yourself. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. If you love those who only love you, what credit is that? For even sinners love those who love them. But if you love your enemies, do good and lend and expect nothing in return from them. This type of love is reckless. It's irresponsible. It seems foolish. But again, without all of that purpose and that sense and that connection and that community, it, it makes perfect sense when you're at that level. If you think about Jesus going out uh, to spend time uh, with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners, and everybody's like, why are you doing that? He had a clear direction and purpose, and he was doing life with them and bringing them along. So if you can imagine, if you were to reach out to the sex traffickers, the drug dealers, the murderers, and child abusers in the community, like people would look at you and be like, what on earth are you doing? Um, that doesn't make any sense. And you're right, it doesn't. But it does if you have this sense of purpose and this alignment. So we have been given all of these things. This is a promise, a very great and precious promise that Peter writes. that says we've been given all of these things. They reside within all of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, are we willing to engage with them? It starts with faith in Jesus Christ as a Savior who freed us from our own sinful selves. And after being free, we seek out a new purpose and commit to the journey of becoming more, not more perfect, not more reliable, just being better versions of ourselves. When we're trying to figure out what that purpose is, we seek it out by reading God's word and learning what have we been saved from and where are we going. And as we learn about this new calling and this new purpose, we learn how to change our behaviors. And when life pushes us back at us, we stand firm and fight back, not giving in, never surrendering to, to the old desires and the old nature of ourselves. 
And as we do this with others, we build a stronger connection, more intimacy, and that mutual affection, and we're supporting each other through our daily struggles. And as we do this more, then we have the capacity to go out and love and minister to others. We have everything we need. But Peter exhorts us again in his last time, don't be like this. You have everything. Just remember, just remember It's so easy to get caught up because there's so much going on in life, but please remember. Otherwise, it tarnishes our testimony to others when we're doing things out of order. It causes frustration when we're like, where is God if we're doing things out of order? It brings bitterness into our hearts when we're trying to persevere and we're like, where is God if our purpose isn't lined up with it? Peter ends this passage um, in verse 9. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful to the cleansing of their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided to you. And this, in fact, is a very great and precious promise given to us.